real tree or, or artificial tree? Thank you. Come on, we are of one, one mind. I was going to say fake tree, but that's a little insulting, is it not? So now I say real or, 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 or artificial. We're, we're, we are real tree people too. Hey, let's, um, we like a little participation here at City Life Church. So if you're visiting, don't get nervous. We do this all the time. But your, your favorite bite at Thanksgiving, your favorite bite, that one bite that you just, you took and you're like, yes. Anybody? Stuffing? Gravy or no Gravy. Gravy. Somebody said, somebody said deviled eggs. Who was, oh, yes. Two, two deviled eggs hands went up. Sweet potato casserole. Did it have mushrooms on it? Brown sugar? What's the topper? Brown sugar and marshmallows. So that's, amen. You got it. Amen. Somebody, somebody else. Somebody over here? Favorite? Mac and cheese. Yes. Mac and, Brother's cheesecake. Yes. Hannah? The stuff, so it's the combo bite. Okay, all right. And, but no, but no, no, no cranberry on there? Yes, thank you, thank you, yes. You got to work the cranberry in the, on that bite, Michael. Pumpkin pie, not sweet potato pie, the pumpkin pie. Whipped cream? Whipped cream, okay, nice, all right. Anybody over here? Tyler? Mashed potatoes. Gravy? No gravy. You don't create the, the volcano, right? You put, a, you put a divot in the top. You don't? Okay. All right. Come on. Corn. Oh, you got a big yes. You're from Philly. You shouldn't say yes to that. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. That's, I feel like that's a southern dish. No? Corn in the mashed potatoes. Okay. I haven't had that. Yes. Mashed potatoes and gravy and corn. Ryan's sourdough bread, son-in-law with a shout-out. Okay. Anybody back here? Anybody? All right. Favorite bites. Favorite bites. Mm. My favorite bite this year is new. Going to talk a little bit about it later in the, in, the, in, the, in the service, in the sermon, when we talk about different cultural norms. But, but since you asked... We had uh, Ethan's uh, girlfriend, Carolyn, who many of you know because she goes to church here, her, her whole family came to Thanksgiving with us. So it was, we had a ton of fun. He is from Bolivia, and she is from Colombia, and she made homemade flan. I'm just going to leave you with that right there. I'm not even supposed to eat dairy. I was eating that. I was like, Oh my goodness, how can this taste so good? Let me, let me share this thought with you. Until the variety we love to celebrate at our table extends beyond the food we eat, we will never be the credible witness for the gospel that people crave. Until the variety we love to celebrate, right? Even as you're hearing people share their favorite bite, at least once somebody said, oh, I need to try that. Right? There, there's something about us, right? Our palate. We, we, we want all those different flavors. But until the variety we love to celebrate at our table extends beyond the food we eat, we will never be the credible witness for the gospel that people crave. 
Tonight's our last night in the story series. I just want to plug this resource one more time. If you don't have it, it's a must-have for your home. It's the Bible written in a, in a novel form, but it only uses actual text. There's nothing added in. So it is a little bit abridged. So it's, it's not your study Bible, but it, but it is a tool for study to familiarize yourself with themes throughout Scripture and then help you see how a lot of those themes and stories connect, especially from the Old to the New Testament. It's been such a good resource for us to introduce to the church and such a good series for us. And so if you don't have that, we want to invite you to check that out. Hey, I want to just throw this up here. We're, only, we're going to be talking about, obviously, diversity tonight, but we have four core values for us as a church that are important to us, that matter to us. The, the first one is this, is ministry, our best effort, is that if you have a church that you call home, and, and I love talking about churches that you call home, especially on holiday weekends, because oftentimes there are people here who are not from here, and that we hope something that we say is going to inspire you to get more involved in the church where, where you are. And so if you have a church that you call home, you should be able to answer this question. How are, you, how are you serving in a meaningful way the people in the church that you call home? If you have a church that you go to, if you have a church that you attend, if you have a, a church family, you should be serving that family in a meaningful way in some manner. Our best effort, generosity, our boldest gift. If you believe in the biblical principle of tithing like I do, you should practice it because you believe in it. If you don't believe that tithing is for today, that that was an Old Testament principle, then you at least have to buy into the principle of sacrificial giving, right? And so if we buy into, those are our only two choices, one of those two, that all of us should have an outflow of generosity from our lives to the church that we call home, our boldest gift. Community, our strongest bond, right? If you show up to church late and you leave early, and then in a few months, you leave that church because you say to yourself, I just never felt connected there. Well, there's a reason for that, right? Because if you don't share time and space with people, you're not going to build meaningful relationships with those people. So we say come a little early and stay a little late. Go to life groups. Find a ministry that you can get involved in because part of the richness of this life as a devoted follower of Christ, is to know others and to be known by them, our strongest bond. And then diversity is what we're going to talk about tonight, is our warmest welcome. Our warmest welcome to people, even if we have ideas and beliefs and thoughts that are irreconcilable, our relationship can still be reconcilable. See, diversity is not assimilation of thought and belief. Diversity is about the harmonization, harmonization of irreconcilable differences and beliefs. And as we're going to see tonight, that diversity was part of the church from the very beginning, the first century church 2,000 years ago. It was a struggle for them, so we should be encouraged that it is still a struggle for us. But because it's a struggle doesn't mean that we should give up. I think it means that we should press in all the more. When people are new to City Life Church, there are two. There are two things that people say. They're, they say other things, but the two things that are the most common, they say it's one of the most welcoming churches I've ever been to, and I feel like that's been a part of our church from the beginning. But then the, then the second one is this. They, they, are, they are struck by the diversity that they see in the room. They, they, they say it's, they're not sure they've been in a church setting where people are, are so different from one another. And that's true because we make it a value. It's true because we practice it. 
And it's true because it's a safe place for people that view life differently from one another. As you read in the book of Acts, right, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that give us the story of the life of Jesus. And then one of Jesus' declarative statements as to why he came. He said he came to build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16. As, as, and then the book of Acts is called Acts because it is the Acts of the Apostles. And one of their first acts was to birth the church. And as you read in the book of Acts, you, you, you cannot miss that all four of these values are present. That even in the early church, you see they were people of ministry, people of generosity, people of community, and they were most certainly a people of diversity, and we want to replicate that here today in Newport News. So why diversity matters? Somebody say amplified. Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky in 2017 set a record for the, the loudest indoor sporting event. They reached 126 decibels, 126.4. There was 23,500 people there. Now you might say, well, Fred, I don't really know how loud that is. Well, I'll tell you. The deck of an aircraft carrier, who are all my Navy people? Any Navy people in here? Any guesses? What, what's the decibel level of, of an aircraft carrier? Back, was John, did I see Jonathan's hands go up? Got any guess? What, what's your guess? No, 115, it's close. 150, Daniel, was your hand up too? What did he say? FL, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. 140. When is the eardrum rupture? Anybody know? Anybody medical people in the room? 150 to 165. Right? So, so 140 on an aircraft carrier, you would think, okay, I, I can assume that's loud, right? I can assume that's loud. 126.4 in, in a basketball stadium, right? You're, you're, you're approaching a decibel level where the eardrum would burst. What, what I love about that is that if you took every individual that was in that arena and you put them by themselves... We all know that the decibel level that they're going to reach is just almost next to nothing. Even the loudest person in that arena being as loud as they can be, nobody's going to get anywhere close to that. They're not even going to maybe get close enough to where it would be uncomfortable for you. But then you put all those people together, 23,500 people, something dynamic happens. All of those people aren't any louder individually, but together they're able to become something that they could never be by themselves. Being together, listen to this, amplifies our voice. When, when we come together, when we are with other people, there is an amplification of our witness for Christ in, in our efforts to point other people to him. A favorite book of mine by Mark DeMaz is called Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church. 
And he talks about in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, where Paul, in the beginning of Ephesians, keeps using this phrase called the mystery of Christ. And, and he would suggest, and I agree with him, that that's been mis misinterpreted as the mystery surrounding man's ability to be reconciled to God. But, but, but the author writes, and I support his conclusion, that that's not the real mystery, the real mystery is how can people be reconciled to one another when the ideas and beliefs that we have are irreconcilable. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6 reads this way, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefits of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you. Gentiles is a biblical term that is everybody that's not Jewish. He said, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now his spirit has revealed it to his holy apostle and prophets. And this is God's plan, and he gives it to us. Both the Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. This was groundbreaking when Paul wrote this to the Jewish community. Their belief was it was impossible for you to have a relationship with God unless you embraced Judaism. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. We have a relationship with God when we embrace Jesus. And it's not just for people that are born into a certain ethnicity or embrace the culture of that ethnicity. We're born into the family of God by embracing Jesus, and we bring all of our diversity with us. Meaning that the family of God now is this beautiful picture of people coming from all these different nations, with all these different cultural norms, with all these different beliefs and ideas coming together under one banner, the banner of Jesus Christ. It's why, as you read through Ephesians in chapter 4, Paul talks about the unity of the church. So he introduces this mystery in chapter 3. You get to chapter 4, he talks about the unity of the church. Then in 5, he pivots to the unity of the home. And then in chapter 6, it's the great warning of the enemy coming against us, where he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers on high, and the famous text of the full armor of God. Paul is saying the enemy is always going to attack this kind of diversity. Why? Because it amplifies our voice. The devil knows the credibility of our message cannot be overcome. The truth of the gospel cannot be changed. So his next option is to destroy the credibility of our witness. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb, which cannot be changed, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Now, we understand part of this is martyrdom, physical martyrdom, which doesn't mean as much to us in a nation that believes in religious freedom, but it certainly means something to people around the world still today. We know martyrdom was part of the biblical narrative, and it is still part of certain countries today, but not so much for us as a physical death. But can, can, I, can I just suggest to you that when the Holy Spirit inspired John to write these words about loving not our lives even unto death, he wasn't just talking about a physical martyrdom. He was talking about a willingness for us to die to ourselves for the sake of other people. A, a willingness to lay our lives down for the benefit of someone else. Whether they think the way we do or not. Revelation 2, 2-4 
As we know from the beginning of Revelation, it is a, a series of letters to different churches that John was a bishop over. And listen to what he writes here. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you that you don't love each other as you did at first. John's saying to them, you, you cannot let go of this willingness to devote yourselves to one another, even people that you disagree with. Because this diversity, this coming together, a group of people under the banner of Christ, even though we might have different cultural banners, we might have different political banners, we might even have different doctrinal banners, but when the world from the outside looks in and sees a group of people that have irreconcilable differences, walking in reconciled relationships, how many of you know it amplifies our voice because we become a credible witness? How diversity is achieved, somebody say recognize. Let's talk a little bit more about what diversity is. Because I think sometimes when people think diversity, they, they only think diversity by way of ethnicity, but we think diversity is much broader than it. It's included in that, but it's broader than that. There's a list that's going to come up on the screen. It's in two groups because it's a, a, a longer list. The first one is personalities, right? There's all kinds of personalities, tests that, that, that you can take. If, 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 if you've lived a little bit of life, at some point you realize that People are different than you are. I mean, you know, not in a good way because it would be better if they were like you. <laughs> right? When, 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 you, when you get married, you realize there are differences, pers personality differences. God, God shapes us in different ways. There's Enneagram, there's Myers-Briggs, there's, there's Personality Plus, right? There's all different kinds of personality tests that you can take that help you understand who you are, help you understand how other people are. But this is part of, of what brings diversity to the world. And God gives you that personality. So some of life can help shape it to a degree, but we believe that the core of who you are, the personality, is part of what God put in you. Doctrinal beliefs, there's all kinds of... We, we believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, and we believe that it is infallible. But we believe that as people, we are the opposite of infallible. We are completely fallible, which, which means that all of us, no matter how good we think we might are in our interpre interpretation of Scripture, none of us are completely right about everything. Right? The Bible is infallible. We are fallible. So when we come into community with each other, if we have different beliefs, this is what this verse means, or this is what church should do or not do, that, that we say, let's practice the biblical mandate of being quick to listen and slow to speak. Let, let, let's, let's, let's practice this, 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 this biblical mandate of, of being curious about what other people think and believe, and then we might find that maybe there are some things that we need to let go of. Or it might be that we find there's room for both of our beliefs to exist together. Spiritual gifts 
all kinds, we talked about that with the baby dedication, that there's all kinds of spiritual gifts that God's going to impart. We're born with some of them, but we also believe that some things are imparted to us. Paul talks to Timothy about a moment where, where he was prayed over and spiritual gifts were imparted to him. So we believe in this idea of coming together corporately as a church family at, at, at important moments of our lives and that gifts are imparted to us to enable us to do the good works that he's called us to do. There's worship preferences, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. It was very different than City Life Church. But when I go back into that set, those types of settings, can I just tell you, worship there is still just as meaningful for me as it here now. It's just, it's different ways for me to find a moment of expression to my God. Can, can I just say, if you've not find your comfort level, found your comfort level yet, with, with, with expressing worship to God, you, you find it. Let that be one of the things that you're looking for in 2024. There is something about your physical body having a reflexive posture drawn into worship as you're awakened to the Spirit of God. Right? In the same way that when you were a kid and you went for your physical and, and they hit your knee, right? your patellar reflex, and your, and your leg just goes out. Right? May, may it be there's something inside of us that when we realize that we're drawn into God's presence, there's just something reflexive about us that begins to posture in a place of worship. Worship preferences. Politics, yes! Can, can I just tell you, if, if you believe that you're always right and everyone else is always wrong, that's my definition of a modern-day Pharisee. If you believe that Jesus is only ever on your side and he's never ever on anybody else's side, those are the people that we read about in the New Testament where Jesus was constantly saying to them, woe unto you, right? All of us are fallible. There has to be a willingness for us no matter how impassioned we are in our politics, and I don't think there's anything wrong being impassioned with your political views and your political perspectives, as long as we remember that Jesus said that one day heaven and earth is going to pass away, which means that everything about this world is one day isn't going to matter anymore, and that we're all going to be under one anthem and one banner and one crown and one king, and that's Jesus. And we're going to be there with people who voted differently than we did here, right? So let's make room for one another. Next one, ethnic cultural norms. That's why I was going to talk to you about Flan. And then I withheld a little bit. She also brought a rose, a rose con, con gondules. I know I'm not saying that right. Is that close? Yes, it is a rice dish that will change your life. And she doesn't make it with the Goya season packet that we do, right, in our home. It's everything's fresh. So our, our, our Thanksgiving dinner was changed forever, right? There's, there's all types of ethnic cultural norms. That the, the boys had a bunch of friends over last night, and they had a, a campfire in the fire pit, right? They're going, they're going out for a campfire. We're going to bed. You cross the threshold of age, right, when you're going to bed when the, when the campfire starts. And, and so the, the, one of the young guys that was there, I, I, said, I said, Kobe, tell me, tell me what your favorite bite was, right, for Thanksgiving. He said, oh, it was the collard greens and the beets. And I said... My family is way too white because <laughs> I need collard, beet, collard greens and beets in my life. So we're working out a deal where next year for Thanksgiving, I'm going to pull up to their house 
and his mom's going to give me some collard greens and some, and some beets, right? There's, there's ethnic cultural norms. There, there's things that are part of us that matter to us because of our ethnicity, right? Let, let's make room for and celebrate the uniqueness, right? What's heaven going to be every tribe and every nation and every tongue? There are generational values that you have because of the generation that you were born into, and it has nothing to do with you being right and everyone else being wrong. You, you can't control the generation you're born into. This is, right, some of these lists you, you choose, but a lot of this list you don't pick. God picked what generation you were going to be born into and generational values that you have. We were at, having a conversation the other day at our table over, Air, was it AirPods? It was AirPods. And they were saying that, Fred, they said, Dad, any, any, any type of AirPod that's not an Apple AirPod Pro is not socially acceptable. And I said, I made this face because I'm almost 57, right? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And of course, why would that matter? But when I was their age, you better believe there were things that mattered to me like that, right? There were just, they're just generational norms. Just every generation has things that just, that are important to them. How many of you know that our generation needs to make room for that generation. Because when we were that generation, if we were in a healthy, healthy church, there was another generation making room for us. And if we don't let them carry the church before they're leading the church, they won't be here to lead it when it's their turn. And they're going to lead it differently than we do. They're going to have worship that's different than, than what we would prefer. They're going to have preferences that we would not choose but this is part of what it means to be a begat church, where you're begat the church from one generation to another. If you don't know what that means, you've got to find that sermon last year. Socioeconomic concerns. Depending on your socioeconomic status, it, it postures you with a certain kind of perspective. I know it's a little bit controversial, but I believe in what's called a material destiny. Can we change our, our, our material situation to some degree? I think to some degree, but I don't think every person has the potential to be the next Jeff Bezos. You with me? I believe that there's something sovereign at work that, that, that God puts us on a path that, that means that one person's material wealth is going to be different than others. And that material wealth causes you to have a different perspective. You see things differently. You view things differently. Life experiences right, shape our points of view and perspective and also the perspective of education. Depending on the education that you have, oftentimes dictates how you see things in life, right? So when we say diversity in our church, we, we mean at least this list, and we know that list could be bigger. It's making room for one another. And when we do, we amplify our voice. We become a credible witness because the world from the outside looking in says, how on earth? They, they come in. I, I kid you not. I kid you not. I've had people come to me and say, Fred, I know this person, and I know that person because we work together. How on earth did they go to the same church? And I said, well, let, let's talk about it, right? A church should be a place where people who have irreconcilable differences can walk in a reconciled relationship. It amplifies our voice. We become a, a, a credible witness and we become a credible witness when we begin to recognize, I'm using this word recognize, but when we begin to recognize 
the inherent value in other people because they bring to the world something of the image of God that we lack. If you believe that about the Imago Dei like I do, then I would ask you to start challenging yourself with this question like I've been challenging myself with this question, especially over the last few years. Are we rejecting a part of God that we don't understand? If you believe in the biblical principle of Imago Dei, and if you can agree at least with most of the things on that list, even if you're only willing to give me half of them, many of those halves are connected to Imago Dei, connected to things that God has imparted to people and put in people to reveal himself to the world. Let's be careful that in our rejection of other people, Let's be careful because we risk that we're actually rejecting a part of God that we don't recognize or understand. Each of us brings a resemblance of God to the world that matters. See, we all have his spirit at salvation, by God's, but, but God's image and likeness is a portion to each of us differently. Let me say that again. We all we have all of his spirit at salvation, but God's image and likeness is a portion to each of us differently. I like this phrase. We love Jesus' plan for us to be in heaven with him, but do we love his plan for who we are supposed to align ourselves with on the way there? I've shared this with you before. We're going to keep sharing it. We love Jesus' plan for us to be in heaven with him, but do we love his plan for who we are supposed to align ourselves with along the way? God has plans for who he wants you to connect your life to. All of that is not up to your own choosing. Some of it is. I think he makes room for some free will in there. I think he gives us the choice to be with this person or be with that person, right? There's something to be said for compatibility and chemistry, but there are people that God has divinely apportioned for us to be with them in life. I love this story of how Jesus is on the cross and, and there the ladies, the, some of the few that have come right at his, at his death because people are fearing for their own safety. And, and his mother is there and also one of the disciples we're told is there is John. And he looks at Mary. Many of you know this story. And he says, he says, woman, behold thy son. And then he says to John, behold thy mother. Well, guess what? Jesus had brothers and sisters. It, she, she, it wasn't as though we know Joseph is out of the picture. It wasn't as though Jesus was her only son. And now she's going to be left alone in the world. So he wants someone to care for her. No, no. She, she has other children. But yet he says to her, this is now your son. Guess what? John has a mother. And do you know what? His mother was there. I'm just saying, I don't know how that conversation went. But if it's a lot of the mothers I know, they were, she was whispering to John on the way home, just so you know, I'm still your mother. She probably didn't risk saying, I don't care what Jesus said, because that would be problematic, right? She whispered, just so you know, I'm still your mother. Mary, Mary, Mary second. Right there, there. Right. So, so when we look at what Jesus said, they, these Jesus wasn't just saying just tolerate each other. He he was saying to them, no, no, no. 
There is a divine plan for a relationship that you're supposed to have that you didn't even know you were supposed to have. That's deeper and farther than what you would choose. I believe that that story is a prophetic picture. I believe it's in the Bible. Because God wanted to keep pointing that throughout all of time, saying to you and me, I'm going to do the same thing for you. I think that's what he says. Are you open as you're moving through life that there are going to be times where God says to you, I want your life to be connected to this person in a deep way? And will you say yes when that moment comes? When diversity is working, somebody say contextualized. Madeline, I don't think we're not going to do a song at the end. We'll do keys for a welcome home, but no song. Contextualize. Let's, let's bring them all together. Amplified is us being a credible witness. Amplified means that when the world from the outside looking in and sees people that have irreconcilable beliefs and irreconcilable ideas, walking in reconciled relationship, it amplifies our voice because we become a credible witness. And as we become a credible witness, diversity begins to work because as we look into the room, we begin to see the inherent value in other people, even other people that irritate us, even people that we disagree with, because we recognize they carry something about God. We recognize the inherent value in them. Contextualize means, contextualize means that we are willing to acknowledge that there is a certain way that we're going to have to communicate the gospel to them in a way that they can understand that might be different than us. Acts 2.21 says this, if you don't think contextualizing the message of the gospel matters, then you've never spent time talking to a missionary or likely have never been on a missions trip. Can I just tell you, going on an overseas missions trip is one of the most impactful things that you will ever do as a devoted follower of Christ. Not only will it give you a profound sense of appreciation for what you have when you spend time in a third world country, which is often where we go as a church for that reason, to have that impact on you. But you begin to realize that people need to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand it. It's interesting, one of the big complaints that religious leaders of Jesus' day had was the way that he talked about God. Because he didn't talk about God in the way that they were used to. Because Jesus knew that sometimes people needed to hear it in a different way. So this idea of contextualization isn't about changing the message of the gospel because that's unchanging. The message of the gospel does not change. But how we communicate it, it matters. It matters. The early church, they struggled with diversity. I'm not going there for the sake of time. You can download these notes if you want to. But in Acts, 2, Acts 6, 1 through 7, we see there was this massive fight because Grecian widows were being neglected. Why were they being neglected? Because they were Grecian widows and they weren't the Jewish widows. So we see right racism and bigotry and prejudice right there in the early church. It was a fight. Acts 15, we see one of the, the great moments of a, a, church le a church business meeting in Acts 15. Yep, it's in the Bible. Because there were people that were teaching others. They're called Judaizers. You can't be a Christian until you first become Jewish. And so there was disagreements about doctrine and belief. It was a, it was a big fight. They had to find their way through it. Galatians 2, 11 through 15, we see Paul confronting Peter. And we can keep going. We see that Paul and Barnabas have their own falling out. I, I'm not saying that the church is supposed to be without tension. Don't get me wrong. 
I'm not saying that the church is supposed to be without conflict. If anything, if you give yourself to the diversity that I believe the Bible calls for, you're going to increase the level of tension and multiply the level of conflict in your church. But what I'm going to tell you is that we will be better for it. We will be better because of it. So I'm going to give it to you again until the variety we love to celebrate at our table extends beyond the food we eat. We will never be the credible witness for the gospel that people crave. As I thought back as we closed this series, I wrote down these three phrases that never made it into any of the sermons, but I want to throw them out tonight before we move on to the series that's coming in December entitled Shalom. When I look at the life of Jesus, he saw the unseen, he united the irreconcilable, and he forgave the unforgivable. And he does that for you and for me. He saw the unseen, he united the irreconcilable, and he forgave the unforgivable. Stand with me as we wrap up our service tonight with what we call our welcome home moment. If you're visiting with us, this is something we've been doing every Saturday from the beginning of the year. Just setting aside a, a moment in time where we just talk about the gospel and what it is, both for your, your own understanding and edification and, edific, and, and, and education, but also for people that maybe have never taken their first spiritual breath. People watching, part of our online community, all of us carry something deep inside of us. A desire for that first taste of flan. But even more importantly, to know God and to be known by him. There's a, there is a hunger in, in me and in you that's deep, 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 deep inside that wants to know God and to be known by him, even if we don't even realize what it is. It's there. You were born with it, and you wake up with it every day. And there are too many people around us that we come in contact with every day that that have that desire and don't even know how to satisfy it. So they're chasing so many different things, chasing after things, and it just never quite touches it because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy that thirst, can feed that hunger. And the Bible tells us that, that you and I, it's a dilemma because our greatest desire is to know God and to be known by him, but yet we're born into this world separated from him and then all of our regrets, all of our mistakes, which we call sin, it keeps us separated from God. So, so we're, we're caught in this place, right? Of we, we need to know him and to be known by him, but sin is this great barrier that cannot be overcome. But see, that's where Jesus comes in and we're told that it's called the gospel because that means the good news. See, Jesus says, I, I can do something about that. Not only can I do something about that separation that you have between you and your creator, but, but I can also do something inside of you. One of our favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, a lot of those regrets that we have and those mistakes that we made, it's because we keep chasing these old desires. And Jesus says, I can give you new desires. I can give you a new heart to cause you to hunger after new things. And in this sense of separation that we have with God, Jesus reminds us that he, he took care of that on the cross. It's part of the gift of, of his sacrifice. 
When he died for you and for me 2,000 years ago, he died for the forgiveness of sin. So, so when we have this sense of that there's no way God could ever forgive me because you don't know what I've done, then I would say then you've yet to understand and fully grasp what Jesus did for you because there is nothing that he cannot forgive. There is no sense of shame that he cannot heal. And not only is his forgiveness for everything that we've done, he says it will cover all the mistakes that are waiting for us because we know that they will be many. So that one day when we stand before God on that fateful day when our lives come to an end and we give an account for our lives, we don't have to fear condemnation in that moment. That we can step into that moment with the humble hope that there's an invitation into eternal life because we made a vow of devotion to Jesus. We're telling that story every Saturday in 2023. We've been telling it. We've been telling it because we, we want you to know. We want you to hear. And in hearing, something stirs inside of you. If you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, you feel it even now. There's something inside of you that resonates with the truth of what I'm saying. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads again just to create a moment of privacy. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. We're not that church that tricks you into doing 14 other things. This is just, is just between you and God, right? Just between you and God. But as you look back over the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up where you are. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. This is just for you to take a step towards him as he's taking a step towards you. Father, we pray for, for people in this room, people that are part of our online community who've yet to experience what it means to be welcomed home to the family of God, people who, as we like to say, have yet to take their first spiritual breath, people who have yet to make a vow of devotion to Jesus. We, we pray that through this holiday season that, that they're going to find themselves in a moment of surrender to you embracing all that you have and all that you've created them to be. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody sit together.